Hello, everyone. This is Michael Moore, and you are listening to my podcast, Rumble with Michael Moore. And uh, it's it's one of those rare 60-degree days uh, here in uh, the middle of February. So that can only mean that what we may have to listen to during this podcast is the uh, construction work and jackhammering that goes on uh, in the city whenever uh, they can grab a semi-decent day. Uh, these are the sounds we listen to, but uh, it seems to have gone away for a little bit here, so maybe it won't uh, it won't be bothering us. Um, I hope everybody's uh, doing well and uh, hanging in there. Thanks for all the response uh, to my uh, my weekly letter that I send out on Substack. Much appreciated. And uh, today, uh, I thought we'd check in to see what's going on in Flint, Michigan. Uh, there was an article recently by the investigative journalist Jordan Sheridan in uh, The Guardian about uh, an, an investigation that he's done uh, regarding the Michigan, the former Michigan Attorney General and, and the current Attorney General uh, regarding racketeering charges that uh, were being um, discussed against the former governor, uh, Rick Snyder who is the person responsible uh, for the poisoning of the water in Flint. And then once he was informed that that's what he'd done, um, it took many months, a year and a half, uh, before they did anything about it. I, I'm sorry I can't let this issue rest. There has been no justice for the people of Flint. People uh, still get rashes uh, and hair loss and other things from the water there. A lot of it, I think, is caused by the, the fact that all the piping, uh, you know, the plumbing has not been replaced. And I think there's been information that's been put out to the public that has led some people to believe that everything's okay now and, and uh, you know, Flint is getting it together. I don't think that's the case. And um, I hear from people every week in Flint. It's a sad story. Um, it's not, it's not like these other water stories around the country where we have infrastructure problems and lead in the water. That's not this. This was done on purpose by the former uh, Republican governor. And a lot of people in Flint are asking, where are the Democrats who have taken over state government, uh, in Lansing? Uh, where are they? And why isn't this still fixed? And why is the former governor um, still not in prison. So we're going to get into all this because we have the investigative journalist who wrote this recent uh, piece in The Guardian. His name is uh, Jordan Sheridan. He's been on Rumble before. Uh, he will be joining us shortly, and we'll talk about uh, what's going on, what we can do, uh, and what this means uh, to the rest of the country. Uh, so I'm really happy that you've joined me today, and stay tuned uh, for this. Uh, uh, before we actually go ahead and get into that, um, I want to take a moment to announce that this coming Sunday, February 20th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be doing another uh, Substack subscriber Q&A uh, for the paid members of my uh, Substack. Um, that's a Q&A with yours truly, and uh, we're going to try and do it a different way this time. Um, I'll be sending out a, a sign-up uh, for those of you who are paid subscribers uh, in the next uh, couple of days. And on this sign-up, it'll ask you if you'd like to be part of the live Zoom chat uh, with me during this uh, Q&A. Uh, it's the first time we've tried this. I, I'm, I'm fine with just 
having people uh, text uh, questions, but it'd be nice to see you. And so we'll try it. We'll try the live in person. And by the way, you don't have to sign up uh, to be on camera if you don't want to. Zoom, can, I think this Zoom that we have can only hold 300 uh, people, uh, but that may be enough uh, of those who would like to be on camera and have this conversation. And, and if you don't want to be on camera, you can still submit a question on Substack. But either way, all you have to do is be a paid uh, subscriber. And the way reason why we do it this way is uh, is to keep the trolls and the haters off a discussion that we want to have with each other. Um, sorry for the people that are free subscribers. You know, all the content here, every podcast, every letter I write every week on my Substack, it's all free, no paywall. But we have a couple little uh, perks for those who are paid members who are giving something to help support our work. And this is one of them, and we and we do this uh, because we like to have the personal contact without the haters uh, joining in. So, um, if you want to subscribe, uh, uh, there's a, a link on this uh, platform page uh, for you to do that. So, uh, you can join for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, but again, um, uh, you don't have to because, like I said, all the other content here is is uh, free. So, look for the sign up uh, uh, email. Uh, that you'll be getting via Substack here in the next uh, couple of days uh, if you'd like to sign up. Uh, and if not, if you'd like to just submit a question, uh, you'll be able to, to do that then and also on Sunday uh, during the Q&A. So Sunday, uh, Q&A, this Sunday, February 20th, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, for monthly and yearly subscribers to my Substack. And I hope many of you can join us. Um, I enjoyed the last couple of ones we've had, and, and uh, please do that. So first up, I want to thank our underwriter, Truebill.com, for supporting this podcast and, and for uh, helping all of you uh, save a little money. So here's my question. How many subscription services are you paying for each month? Right? We all, we've clicked on a lot, and they add up, and then we stop using them or paying attention to them, but we're, you know, they're still deducting this automatically, you know, from our credit card account or, or whatever. Well, Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need or want, or like me, simply forgot about. Truebill's app allows you to see all your subscriptions in one place, and it keeps the ones that you want, and it cancels the ones that you don't want. Now, you know, a lot of these things that we've all signed up for, they, they force us sometimes. We have to actually call them to cancel uh, or we have to write to them or whatever. Well, Truebill will handle that for you so you don't have to get involved. And it works, let me tell you. On average, people are saving hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars a year because this stuff just gets automatically deducted. And if you're not paying attention, boom. So start canceling your unused subscriptions at Truebill.com slash Rumble. That's Truebill.com slash Rumble. Truebill is spelled T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L, all one word. Truebill.com slash Rumble. It could save you literally thousands of dollars in a year's time. Truebill.com slash Rumble. Another one of our underwriters that I want to thank today for supporting our work and our voice is Wondrium. Uh, now, as you know, like most of us, I'm sure we've had a lot of time to think about things over these uh, past two years. And that time has made me and others, you, curious 
in a way where a lot of the junk food TV and so-called content can't really scratch the itch. So I'm delighted to talk about our new underwriter, Wondrium. It's a streaming service made for lifelong learners. Whether you're seeking out compelling documentaries or trying to learn a new skill or subject, Wondrium is the place for you. Wondrium has mind-blowing premium encyclopedic programming on virtually any topic you can imagine, all designed to move you forward on your journey to learning something new. And let me tell you, there's some really incredible uh, stuff that's on Wondrium. There's a, there's a fantastic documentary on Stanley Kubrick's, we'll call him his uh, right-hand man, Leon Vitale. I've had him at my film festival in Michigan. Uh, and this documentary is called The Film Worker. It's a fascinating story about how this British actor, Leon Vitale, ended up being an integral part of Kubrick's singular vision over the years, including auditioning. I love this story. Leon auditioned more than 4,000 child actors to find just the right one to play the little boy, uh, Danny Torrance, in The Shining. When I had him at my festival, we looked at some of the uh, audition tapes. It, it was simply amazing. So that's one of the things you can get on, on Wondrium uh, to watch this documentary that I'm sure you haven't heard of. Wondrium also helps you learn through other engaging videos and audio learning experiences, interactive how-to guides, documentaries, and it's led by teachers and professors and experts who will inspire you and remind you of the fun that exists in learning. So if you want to get excited about learning something new, I highly recommend signing up for Wondrium. And Wondrium is offering my listeners to this podcast a special free 22-day trial membership to celebrate uh, this new year that we're now in the second month of. It's a great chance to learn new things. To get this offer, though, you'll need to visit wondrium.com slash rumble. And again, let me spell that out for you. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com, wondrium.com slash rumble. So I'm really honored to uh, welcome Jordan Sheridan here to uh, Rumble. Thank you so much uh, for coming back on my podcast, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. So Jordan, I thought it was important to check back in to see how Flint was doing with the uh, almost eight-year-long water poisoning uh, that has taken place that began back in April 2014 where the Republican governor, his staff, and the mayor that he appointed removed the elected mayor and appointed an unelected person was called like the manager of the city and then uh, did the bidding of uh, the governor's office. I love listening to you as an outsider who has come to Flint now for many years and done so much great investigative reporting uh, for The Intercept, for The Guardian, for your own uh, uh, organization, uh, Status Coup, uh, as in C-O-U-P. Uh, Jordan, uh, for the people who maybe are finding out about Flint for the first time here, can you give them sort of the brief uh, uh, history of this, and then we're going to get into uh, what you've recently uh, uncovered? Sure. Um, when uh, Rick Snyder became governor uh, in 2011, Flint, you know, like a lot of cities in uh, the industrial Midwest, 
uh, unfortunately, was uh, economically a bit of a rotting corpse. Obviously, uh, Michael, you showed that uh, in Roger and Me. Uh, Flint was once the envy of the rest of the world, uh, kind of one of the birthplaces of the middle class, the auto industry. But for many, many reasons, uh, by the mid-2010s, uh, economically, it, it was near bankruptcy. And uh, Snyder ran for governor, fancying himself as, as an economic wizard who can save distressed cities. Uh, so as part of his effort to save Flint, um, they came up with a brilliant idea. Uh, the state officials in the Snyder administration, city officials in Flint, and that was uh, we're going to try and erase Flint's economic problems and debt by uh, having Flint join a completely brand new water system. Flint had gotten its water for 50 years from Lake Huron, which is some of the cleanest water in the world, uh, the Great Lakes, uh, through Detroit's water system. Uh, and Flint did not have problems uh, with water quality when they received Lake Huron water from uh, the Detroit water system. Uh, but Flint was also broke uh, in 2014. It actually had no credit rating and it was legally not allowed to borrow more money. Uh, so how does a broke city join a brand new water system? Uh, that's part of what my latest story is about. How does a broke city uh, borrow $85 million to join a new water system? Uh, so we could get to that. But in a nutshell, uh, while Flint, while this new water system, the Karagandi Water Authority was under construction that Flint would be joining, uh, they decided we're just going to use the Flint River for free, uh, theoretically for free. Uh, so they only had planned to put Flint on the Flint River for a year and a half to two years while this new water system was being built. And while they put Flint on the Flint River, uh, the state environmental department just forgot uh, to add the proper chemicals into the water, uh, chemicals known as corrosion control inhibitors. Uh, you know, the pipes all across the country are between 50 and 100 years old. So older water systems, you're supposed to add corrosion control chemicals into the water system to um, prevent lead and other contaminants from leaching off the old pipes. They didn't do that. And very quickly after the switch in 2014, the switch to the Flint River, uh, residents started receiving uh, brown water, uh, smelly water. Uh, residents, including children, started sporting rashes on their body, losing hair. And essentially, both the Snyder administration and city of Flint officials told them, don't believe your lying skin or hair, and told them your water's fine. Uh, and they, that went on for 18 months uh, from April 2014 through October 2015, uh, Flint residents were receiving uh, poisoned water uh, with lead, as well as bacteria and other contaminants. And when did the governor or his staff first get an indication that there was something wrong with this uh, Flint River water they were now being forced to drink? Uh, governor Snyder uh, claims that he didn't know about the lead problem until 2015. Uh, there's Plenty of uh, reporting out there that he knew before then. And I broke uh, for The Intercept that although the governor went public uh, at, to the world about the Legionnaires outbreak in Flint in January 2016, Legionnaires is the deadly waterborne bacteria that uh, was bred from that water. Uh, he says he didn't know about it till January 2016, but my reporting uh, revealed 
he knew about it as early as October 2014, so 16 months early. Uh, and he did not notify residents. He did not notify the public. Uh, and this, when he first learned about it, just so happened to be a couple weeks before his re-election for governor. This was in a time, uh, a galaxy far, far long ago, before Trump. Uh, at, at that time, uh, in 2014, Snyder uh, reporting indicated he was angling to possibly run for president in 2016. So uh, he knew about the Legionnaires uh, as early as 20, October 2014. Uh, that's what prosecutors and investigators had concluded, uh, which indicates he allowed residents to drink uh, water that he knew was unsafe for a year and a half. And the reason this whole thing, you mentioned this other pipeline. So a perfectly fine pipeline that uh, gave us clean drinking water in Flint for 50 years, maybe. Some banks got involved. Uh, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, and and decided there was money to be made by building a second parallel pipeline that just went directly. Um, it didn't have to pass through the Detroit water system; just go directly from Lake Huron to Flint. But but there was no need for this, right? I mean, this was this was done. I am guessing uh, for some people to become wealthier than they already were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reason given was that uh, Detroit's water system, which Flint was the biggest customer, Flint had received its water from the Detroit water pipeline, uh, city officials uh, and Genesee County officials, Flint is part of Genesee County, they claimed that Detroit had been uh, raising the rates to Flint for, you know, 10 years. Uh, and that if they were to build their own water system uh, separate from Detroit, then essentially their, their water destiny would be in their own hands and they could set the rates however they would like. Uh, the problem with that is Detroit, um, you know, Detroit really couldn't afford to lose Flint as its biggest customer. So there are emails that indicate uh, at the, la at the uh, you know, the 11th hour, uh, Detroit offered Flint to cut its rate in half, 50%, uh, and Flint still left. And there were engineering reports done uh, that indicated if you compared Flint remaining with the Detroit water system versus joining this brand new system, that it would actually be cheaper for Flint to stay on the Detroit water system. Yet uh, the state and city officials went ahead with Flint joining this brand new water system, which uh, your documentary, you showed the map. Uh, it's literally on the same exact parallel path as the existing water pipeline. So to build a parallel one uh, that, again, the, 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 the reason given was financial. We're going to save money by creating our own water system. Uh, that ended up being false. And also, Flint, the difference between the water that Flint received from Detroit and this new water system that Flint was joining, Detroit water being delivered to Flint was, was finished water. It had already been treated by uh, Detroit's water system. So by the time it got to Flint, it, it needed no, no additional chemicals or anything like that. The water treatment, the, the new water system, the Karagandi Water Authority that Flint was going to be joining, that was raw water. So by the time it was delivered to Flint, it would then have to be treated by the Flint water plant, which Michael, you, you know, the Flint water plant was basically dilapidated. It had not been used as a primary water plant to treat water for decades 
And at the time that Flint switched to the Flint River, uh, it needed tens of millions of dollars in upgrades just to put in right. the right equipment. And that, had, that was not done. Right. If, if you were to walk inside the Flint water plant, um, this, this old ancient uh, thing, it, it, if you wanted to shoot Zombieland 3 in Flint, you would use the Flint water plant as one of the great locations um, for this. But, but in all seriousness, though, uh, just to put a fine point on this, when people hear Flint water crisis, I now, whenever I see something on TV or there's something in the papers, it's always, we're lumped in with all the other cities that have the real legitimate problems with lead and old pipes and, and all this stuff. This was not what happened in Flint. We did not all of a sudden have a lead problem or whatever. It, this was a political decision made by the Republican governor to try to uh, uh, bring taxes down. And then he tells his henchmen in Flint and other cities, you've got to do X, Y, and Z to cut costs. Right. And, and so this was a means to cut costs, to run a scam on people about building a second pipeline that could make the bankers at uh, uh, J.P. Morgan and um, Wells Fargo uh, rich, richer. And uh, so when, I just want the public, when they hear this about Flint, we're not, we're not part of some environmental problem. This was a fraud that was committed. And then when they found out the damage that they were doing to the human beings in Flint, did I say human beings? I meant black people because that's why, how they got away with this because they could do this to a majority black city, could not do this to Ann Arbor, could not do this to Bloomfield Hills or Gross Point or any of the places in Michigan that were white and wealthy. They could get away with it in this majority black city and, and these other cities and school districts that the governor took over and installed his henchmen uh, were also majority black cities and uh, or or uh, school districts, so I just want to keep reiterating this that that racism plays an important role in this because they do by trying to get away with what they got away with that the African Americans of Flint, Michigan, uh, did not hold any power. They don't make campaign contributions, and um, and and Snyder, the governor. Uh, knew that white Michigan uh, wasn't going to worry too much as long as it wasn't their water uh, that was involved here. Right. So, I also um, I also yes. want to be clear, just to look at the dollars and cents of it, because Governor Snyder, uh, you know, this is what happens when you kind of run government like a business. Uh, he, he and his folks, they were just simply looking at the balance sheet. So in 2014, right. Flint had an annual deficit of 12 to 13 million dollars meaning they were losing 12 to 13 million dollars a year. So what they were paying to the Detroit water system per month was a million dollars. That over a year equals they they basically their entire deficit. So right. Snyder yeah. Snyder and his economic brain trust uh, fashioned if we just get Flint off the Detroit water system we would basically erase the deficit and then we'll just use the river for free. We just we we'll ju we just forgot. Oh well, it requires billions of dollars in upgrades to the water plant. So they just looked at the dollars and cents. Hey, Flint has twelve million dollars in deficit. 
They're paying $12 million a year to Detroit Water. Get rid of that. I could say, hey, I turned Flint around and help his political amb- ambitions with that messaging. And, and how close is the former governor uh, to uh, going to jail? Wish I had good news uh, for you, Michael. Uh, essentially, the former governor and uh, several other defendants that have been charged uh, are actively trying to get uh, the charges dismissed under a variety of legal maneuvers. Uh, and uh, judges have been uh, hearing those arguments. Uh, one of the arguments that Governor Snyder and his uh, you know, pretty high-powered team of attorneys have been using is that the prosecution team under Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel uh, did not use what they call a taint team. Uh, I don't want your listeners' eyes to gloss over, but a taint team is essentially independent, uh, independent legal people who go through uh, discovery and documents to make sure uh, what the prosecution has is not attorney-client privilege. Uh, So uh, Snyder and other defendants claim that uh, the attorney general's prosecutors did not use a a taint team and therefore have attorney-client privilege documents. That's one uh, thing that is basically delaying even even Snyder from going forward to an actual trial. Uh, Other defendants are claiming that uh, the current prosecutors uh, filed charges after the statute of limitations, which for many of these crimes in Michigan is six years. Uh, So these things are being heard uh, in court in various settings. And by the way, we should say Snyder... Uh, he was only charged with a misdemeanor. So uh, if he was convicted, he would face a $1,000 uh, fine and p- potentially a year in jail. Oh, my God. Okay, that's not happening. All right. So tell us what you have recently learned uh, and, and what you reported on uh, in The Guardian. Absolutely. So essentially, you know, the media story about Flint, like you said, was this was kind of just a horrible accident. Right. Uh, There was not much reporting on uh, to follow the money. Uh, So we, uh, myself, uh, Charlie LaDuff out of Michigan, a great reporter I worked with on this. uh, We discovered that that brand new water pipeline that we were talking about, that Flint was joining. uh, Well, Flint didn't have the money to join that water pipeline in the year 2014. It was broke. Uh, We just discussed how, how much of money they were losing every year. So Flint was allowed to borrow $85 million, even though it had no credit rating and it was broke. Uh, legally, actually, state of Michigan law, Flint had already reached its debt limit. So, the, you know, the $64,000 question, how does a broke city borrow $85 million to join a totally unnecessary water system? So that's what prosecutors and investigators that uh, were trying this, trying this in case and investigating in the early years, 2016 through 2018, this, these were the original uh, Flint water investigators. When, when Attorney General Nestle came in, she kind of cleaned house and restarted things. But what we found was the original investigation team, they found significant financial fraud behind that deal, the bond deal that allowed Flint to join this new water system. And they were building a racketeering case, which is known as RICO. Uh, if you ever watch Sopranos or, you know, some of these mob movies, 
RICO uh, was developed in the 1970s, primarily to go after organized crime, mafia figures. It's used for other things, too, but that's, those were the big guns that RICO and racketeering uh, laws were used against. So they were building a RICO case uh, to go after state officials who were behind this fraudulent bond deal that allowed Flint to join the, the, this water system in the first place. Uh, and they were advancing it, I would say, you know, in football terms, maybe on the five to 10, 10 yard line. Uh, actually, one of the investigators had gone public. His name's Andy Arena. Uh, he was fired by Attorney General Nessel. And he said at the time that he and his, the rest of his team were dismissed, they were about six months away from, char from filing additional financial fraud charges. We learned through this story that those charges were going to be racketeering, RICO charges, over uh, corrupt transactions that were involved in this bond deal, uh, potential bribery, uh, false pretenses, essentially a scam financial deal that resulted in Flint joining this new water system. And ultimately, because Flint joined this new water system, the city being poisoned because to join this new water system, Flint used the Flint River in the interim. Yeah, so there's two separate issues. One, uh, when Attorney General Nessel came in, you know, she claimed she recused herself from the criminal investigation, meaning she wasn't involved, and she hired, you know, the, she she appointed uh, the Solicitor General of Michigan and, and another prosecutor to co-lead it. Whether she's involved day to day or not, it, it's obviously under her purview. So what we learned was they not only basically, you know, by all intents and purposes, buried. Uh, the racketeering case, uh, but in addition to the uncharged, meaning the racketeering case was was going, those charges were going to be pressed, but Attorney General Nessel and her team never followed up on it. Uh, in addition to that, they actually dismissed already filed financial charges against two of the emergency managers that were appointed by Governor Snyder. Uh, the original prosecution team had charged two emergency managers you had you had mentioned the emergency managers were basically appointed by Governor Snyder to run Flint in place of the elected mayor, the elected city council, basically stooges that were basically running Flint as proxies for the governor. So essentially, Snyder was running Flint through these stooges. Two of those uh, emergency managers, they were charged with false pretenses and conspir conspiracy to commit false pretenses for that fraudulent bond deal. Those charges were filed in 2016 by the original uh, Flint Water investigation team. Attorney General Nessel uh, and her team dropped those charges in 2019, and they then recharged those same officials in 2021, but the financial fraud charges were gone. They recharged them with lesser crimes, but the financial fraud charges were gone. So what you have here is a major racketeering case that basically just was cut off, you know, uh, cut off on the vine. Um, and then you have other financial charges that uh, were charged, but dismissed by the attorney general. Mm. Why? Why did a Democrat, why did she do this? You know, I can't get in her head. Uh, needless to say, she has not answered any of my questions. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot, there's several moving parts here. Number one, uh, Attorney General Nessel, uh, Democrat or not, did something very unusual uh, as a candidate. Uh, she was running to be Attorney General and she was publicly, you know, uh, criticizing the investigation, calling it 
uh, politically charged show trials. Um, that's unusual based on lawyers I spoke with because she had no access to the evidence. All she knew was what the public knew. Uh, so she was already, uh, before she became attorney general, previewing that she was going to clean house and that this was taking too long and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know what was behind that motivation. There was reporting that, you know, she, you know, wanted her own team. Uh, I've spoken with sources who said she didn't want, you know, this was a political thing. She didn't want uh, the, the uh, people that the previous attorney general had put in place to get the credit. They were Republican. So whatever her motivation is, uh, she got in there, she cleaned house, and by sources I've spoken with, as well as uh, investigators who went on the record, they said there wasn't even really much of a debrief between Nestle's team and this team that had been investigating for three years. So I don't know if this was simply incompetence. I don't know if this was simply, you know, a political thing where new people come in and think they know better. Uh, but they basically cleaned house of the special prosecutor who had been uh, who had filed those financial fraud charges against top officials in the Snyder administration, uh, the chief investigator who used to be the head of the FBI in Detroit, uh, and essentially most of their team. The other element is if these financial fraud charges went forward, the state of Michigan uh, would be on the hook financially, uh, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in liability because they approved through the attorney general's office, they approved um, a, the, an environmental order that basically gave Flint the green light to issue these bonds. So because the state of Michigan uh, had approved it, uh, the state of Michigan, if the financial fraud charges go forward, they're on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars. Then you bring in Wall Street, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and a third financial institution. Uh, they underwrote the bonds, meaning they financed the pipeline construction deal. So JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, uh, sources indicated, they too were facing similar liability, hundreds of millions of dollars, because as part of uh, the environmental order that gave Flint the, the green light to borrow this money, uh, JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, they were supposed to do their due diligence as part of that environmental order to make sure that the Flint water treatment plant was ready to go, that the, the equipment upgrades were made and that the Flint water treatment plant had the wherewithal to safely treat the Flint River water. Clearly that didn't happen. So actually JP Morgan and Wells Fargo were sued in 2020 on behalf of 2,400 Flint children, civilly, not criminally, uh, for what, what I'm discussing, for their um, basically pushing this bond deal through without doing their due diligence. So I can tell you, I can't get in the attorney general's mind. I can't state as a fact that this is why they killed the racketeering charges or this is why they dropped the financial charges. But what I do know is there seems to be a bit of a conflict here because on one end, you have the state of Michigan claiming they're going to go after the potential criminals and bring justice to Flint. But on the other end, if they threw the book for financial fraud at Snyder too, uh, I mean – the bill for the state of Michigan, they got they got away with a six hundred million dollar settlement civilly to Flint last year. You talk to most residents, uh, my opinion, that's not that's not enough. But essentially, there was a lot of liability. There was yeah, not a, a lot of liability here. Explain why that's not enough. 
Well, essentially, uh, a $600 million settlement to the people of Flint amounts to about a used car for every child in Flint, uh, you know, a little under 10 grand. Um, it is, um, you know, the children, obviously, uh, most of the money is going to the children. Uh, that's great. Uh, I, I've gone to Flint nearly 20 times. There's a lot of adults slowly dying in Flint, too. Uh, and most of the money went to children. Uh, obviously, we don't want to pit between children and adults, but there should be more money to go around for everybody. Uh, children, uh, not only the physical harm, but the mental harm, uh, learning disabilities, behavioral problems, uh, learning delays, um, uh, w uh, women who lost babies, miscarriages. So $600 million uh, for this kind of uh, hum humanitarian crime, crime against humanity, humanity to, to me, is a drop in the bucket uh, what it should have been, uh, at the minimum, uh, in my view, over a billion dollars. And again, uh, if, you know, if Snyder, the, part of the reason that, uh, from sources I spoke with and my own reporting, part of the reason they wanted to get the civil settlement done uh, before advancing the criminal charges was because once the civil settlement's done, that, I mean, the bill is done. You can't retroactively go back and ask for more. Uh, once all parties have agreed. So that's why it was so important for them to get the state to get the civil settlement done, because let's say you come out with heavy duty crime, uh, charges after that against the governor or others, then the state's liability would have been even higher. Mm. When I run into people and they, and they ask, how's it going in Flint? They think that all the pipes now have been replaced. Uh, that all, you know, they heard in the news that all this money was sent to Flint to undo the damage. And I explained to them, well, there are some of the mainline pipes out underneath the, the streets uh, that have been replaced. But all the pipes that go from the mainline from the street to the house and then all the internal plumbing systems in everybody's home, plus their appliances, whether it's a washing machine or a dishwasher or or whatever, their shower, uh, has all been corroded and contaminated. None of that's replaced. I don't think people understand. They hear, you know, the, the state of Michigan, somebody puts out a piece of good news, we've replaced all these pipes. Well, you've been there. Tell people what you've seen. Well, first of all, it's even worse than that. And this got buried partially, if I'm being honest, by Newsweek. 2018, uh, myself, uh, my reporting partner at the time, uh, Jen, dies. We went to Flint because we were being told by residents that Snyder and his environmental department were cooking the data, meaning they were cheating on the water testing to basically produce artificially lower lead levels. Right. So we just did something radical and started knocking on doors. <laughs> and we knocked on almost 400, uh, almost 400 doors in the summer and fall of 2018, and we found that Snyder's environmental department had been sending officials into residents' homes uh, and collecting samples, but running their water right before taking the sample. Uh, not the night before, I'm talking minutes before. That's completely against EPA regulations. So they were cooking the data by, you know, if you run the water for several minutes, you're going to flush out potentially high levels of lead, copper. So that's how they got those levels. <laughs> and Snyder, and his team never denied it. Uh, they played dumb. Uh, but we were working on that story for Newsweek. For some reason, they killed it that week. Uh, we broke it. 
we just self-published it in 2018. It got a lot of buzz, this and that. But basically, because it got killed by Newsweek, it was able to be swept under the rug. You advance past that. Uh, the, the testing that has been done, uh, they test very, uh, you know, s a small number of homes in the city. Uh, they are testing, you know, kind of cherry-picking neighborhoods, in many cases, testing neighborhoods that weren't as negatively affected. Uh, so in some cases, they're testing, you know, 50, 60 homes and declaring the whole city fine. But any engineer you speak with, they have not changed all of the pipes. They have not touched the main pipes underneath the street. They've only been replacing the service lines, which are the pipes from your curb into your home. So the main pipes, which for years have been breaking all over Flint because they were busted by this toxic water, uh, they are not, they're, they're only being replaced when they bust. Uh, and you mentioned the interior plumbing. It's not like the water just, you know, skipped over people's interior plumbing. Uh, that is not being replaced. In fact, the former mayor, Karen Weaver, told me on the record that she went to Governor Whitmer, the current governor, to ask for help uh, funding to start tackling Flint residents' interior plumbing. And the governor, this is what the mayor said, told her there's Flint fatigue in the state legislature and I can't get any more money for that. So essentially, yeah, you've had media really just service stenographers, either just regurgitating the numbers that Snyder was putting out there or the numbers that are currently being put out there. But the numbers that are being put out there, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I could tell you having been to Flint many times, including last summer, uh, there's residents still receiving, uh, getting rashes from that water. I mean, I, I've, I've spoken with them. I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's residents that still are losing hair in the shower. Uh, and not to mention the long-term health effects that are not being addressed. Flint doesn't have Medicare for all. Uh, they had short-term Medicaid expansion, which is pretty much up. I've talked to residents who are near bankruptcy trying to afford environmental doctors because regular internists aren't the best for heavy metal poisoning and things like that. So uh, this is not over. Uh, and it's still very much whatever the word you want to call it. I would call it a catastrophe, but it's been normalized uh, and kind of uh, in, you know, mission accomplished, so to speak, because the numbers that are being put out uh, claim to be meeting EPA regulations. And it's and it's the Flint. It's the Flint water crisis. It's just, it sounds so like uh, what's the what's the word they use for uh, the climate, the climate uh, crisis. We're beyond crisis. This is a catastrophe. You know, I just, I, uh, I want you to come on today in part two because I, I wanted you to help pull me and uh, people uh, who still live there out of our um, despair because Mayor Weaver uh, said that uh, Lansing has Flint, Flint fatigue, right? Right. And, yeah. um, you know, you don't, if this was, again, a white city that had some money, you don't talk about fatigue when you're talking about a white city. Oh, I don't want to, I, I really don't want to hear about Ann Arbor anymore, please. I have fatigue. Right. No. Yeah, I th you know, I think that um, obviously Snyder uh, and the Republican regime, uh, they, sh they carry the weight of the original sin here. But as you know, there was a whole lot of people in Flint Really excited when Gretchen Whitmer was elected. Uh, same thing with Dana Nessel as attorney general. Felt, 
you know, Democrats coming in, uh, obviously they were not getting the help that they needed. They were getting a cover up under Snyder and the Republicans. Uh, and one of the things Go Governor Whitmer had said during the uh, governor's debates was that she was going to reopen the water stations, the free water stations that Governor Snyder had shuttered, claiming, oh, the numbers are good. Flint's water's back to normal. We could shut down these water pods, which residents depended on for bottled water. Uh, she, that's what she ran on. She she never did that. Um, Attorney General Nessel, my reporting indicates there's just a lot of bizarre things going on. There's a lot of bizarre things in terms of purging the entire investigation team that had investigated this for three years, that had already charged uh, 15 state of Michigan and city of Flint officials, uh, then dropping all the charges, claiming deficiencies in their 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 investigation, even though that original investigation had already uh, re resulted in two of the top state officials, the health department director and the chief medical executive. Uh, they were they were uh, a judge ruled that they both had to go to trial after year long pretrials. Uh, so the first investigation couldn't have been that deficient if a judge had agreed. <laughs> two of the top officials had to face the music in front of a jury. Um, and then you have, again, what I've outlined, uh, the dropping of financial charges with no explanation why, uh, not following through on the racketeering charges. Uh, now you have uh, kind of the governor and top defendants uh, citing deficiencies in the prosecution, the new, the second in prosecution under Dana Nessel. So you just have uh, whatever the reason is, whether it's incompetence, whether it's you know, uh, there was not enough political will uh, to go for the follow the money. Uh, in my story, Eric Mays, who is the Flint City Council chairman, he actually says uh, that Nestle let it go. Uh, that's the attorney general. She let it go. Uh, he said, I'm just quoting it. Uh, was it a lack of political or legal will? I cannot say, but it bothers me to this day. Her team hasn't addressed it. Speaking about the financial fraud here. And I think that's what it comes down to, because for people not from Flint, listening to this. As a journalist, I'm always telling people, follow the money. These things don't happen by accident. There's usually greed involved. <laughs> There's usually landowners involved, investors involved, banks involved, po po politicians uh, involved. And the people of Flint deserve to know what was the root of this? Because we know the original narrative, what they fed us. But who... Why was Flint on the Flint River in the first place? Why was Flint joining this new water system? Who broke the law uh, through financial fraud? Let's just call it a scam uh, to for to basically uh, you know hoodwink the people of Flint into joining this new water system. The people of Flint deserve to know, and they deserve those people to be held accountable. Uh, unfortunately, the current attorney general and her team uh, are not following the money. I mean, I, I would love to have egg on my face. Maybe tomorrow they'll announce these, the charges. Who knows? Uh, but they're not following the money. And the other problem, and you and I have talked about this, Michael, previous reporting I did, uh, the Attorney General's uh, predecessor, uh, the original team, they were building a case against the governor for involuntary manslaughter. Uh, to be clear, that they, they, they were not ready to charge him with that, but that's the case they were building. They felt they had evidence uh, against him for involuntary manslaughter. So these are major discrepancies between the original investigation, who was building a racketeering case, you know, gunning for involuntary manslaughter against the governor, which obviously would be a very seismic uh, event, 
and this prosecution who did not follow through on any of those things. So what do people do now? What, what, how do we not let this drop? How, how do we deal with the fact that now that the Democrats are in charge in the state capitol, um, it's, it's a whole lot more of the same old thing. I mean, you know, this gets just so depressing with people. They, people give up. People just decide the whole system is rigged. Why bother? And, um, and then that's when the bad guys win. Right. Yeah. I mean, as a journalist, I've tried my best. Uh, one of the problems, and you know this, is uh, your state's media uh, doesn't seem to have an appetite for this <laughs> anymore. Uh, I literally have broken four stories in two years uh, based on in, you know, very strong sourcing documents from the criminal investigation. The Detroit Free Press won't touch it. The Flint Journal won't touch it. Uh, the Detroit News won't touch it. Why? And that, that's the most frustrating part. I go to Flint and I'm talking to residents that don't even know what I broke because they're not seeing it on their TV and they're not seeing it in these news outlets. So number one, uh, you know, if if there's a if there if the residents of Flint have any more, uh, you know, rally in them, I would start circling the wagons around these media outlets. You know, nonviolently, obviously, but uh, because these media outlets are normalizing this by burying what's actually going on and burying the truth, uh, I would not stop there. Though again, and these residents are tired. I speak with them all the time. They're physically tired. They're mentally exhausted. They've been fighting for eight years. Then, then you have the pandemic on top of things. But I mean, I, I think good old fashioned protest uh, outside uh, Governor Whitbear. Uh, yeah, she's a Democrat, but at this point, D- Democrat, Republican, alien. Uh, they're not. They're not giving Flint residents justice. They should be protesting outside Whitmer's office, outside Nestle's office. Uh, not only for justice, but where is their health care? Uh, you, you and I spoke about this previously. Uh, Libby, Montana is 96% white. They had an, an asbestos disaster that killed a lot of people. And uh, for Libby, Montana, snuck into Obamacare was Medicare for all for the 96% white residents of Libby, Montana. Uh, they deserved it. Why, do, why doesn't the 53% black residents of Flint deserve Medicare for all for being poisoned? Um, why do, and by the way, there's a lot of poor white people in Flint too. Uh, That's so right. That's right. I think... You know, to me, we're, we're fighting a lot of battles, climate crisis, uh, you know, Fascism. creeping, creeping authoritarianism, white supremacy, COVID. Not yeah, not creeping so much anymore. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, not just the people of Flint, but the rest of the country, uh, if you let this go in Flint, if you don't rally for Flint, if you don't join protests for Flint, what makes you think this could not happen in your city if the people that did this to Flint are not held accountable. Right. Well, I've, I've believed that, you know, having lived there for a big chunk of my life, uh, that Flint in the past has been the canary in the coal mine. And I've, when I made my first film, I was trying to really tell the rest of the country that this isn't just Flint. This is coming to your hometown and we all better get, get busy on it right now. And I remember having a very hard time making that case. People felt bad for Flint, but they uh, they didn't see that it would be coming to their to their state, to their city, and then it did. Right. And right. people trying to just fight and live through the pandemic, it's it's hard to wrap your head around all the other things we're fighting for. Right. And um, 
So to those who are listening, I, uh, you know, where can they go to, to be brought up to date on the latest in Flint? And to, Absolutely. And to participate in uh, trying to create some sort of justice here. Yeah, so uh, my outlet, Status Coup, C-O-U-P. We're on YouTube. It's under Status Coup News. Uh, I probably at this point have 200 to 300 videos uh, just on the Flint water crisis, the cover-up. I've been on the ground reporting in Flint uh, nearly 20 times. So definitely subscribe to my channel. That's Status Coup, C-O-U-P. Uh, we cover other things too. Uh, but uh, at the top, if you haven't read this story, please read it. It's in The Guardian. Uh, it's at the top of my Twitter and uh, yeah, I would tell people, honestly, you know, at the end of the day, like you just discussed, people are overwhelmed with multiple fights. But at the end of the day, this is, to me, based on my reporting, this is the biggest government cover-up of this century. I think it's bigger than Watergate. Watergate didn't kill anyone. If there wasn't a president involved in Watergate, nobody would have blinked twice. I mean, not that Watergate isn't scandalous, but you're talking about a governor who literally knew his constituents were drinking contaminated water for a year and a half and said nothing. And, and a cover-up of that. You're talking about previous reporting I did. That governor's top officials, their phones were erased. Their phones were erased, messages deleted shortly before the launch of the criminal investigation. Uh, you're talking about a governor whose top advisor, uh, known around Michigan as kind of his henchman, was going around the city of Flint offering payoffs to sick residents to keep them quiet. I mean, there's, this is a massive government cover-up in addition to a humanitarian crisis. So you would think for journalists, they would never give up on this because it's the story of a lifetime. Uh, but to me, people need to get involved because this is not just happening in Flint. There are financial deals happening all over this country through the issuing of bonds and other measure, me mechanisms. They're being sold to you as economic development, uh, you know, um, urban renewal, these kind of things. But there's a lot of shortcuts being taken and there's a lot of quote unquote public private partnerships happening between the government and private corporations that are selling you, no pun intended, down the river. And if, if this just kind of becomes normal, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, recognize it every April 25th. This April 25th is eight years. Uh, we'll, you know, some news coverage. We'll have news stories about trust, all the news stories for major outlets. It's, oh, the water's fine. Now it's just about trust. It's like they're all in the same meeting, pushing the same angle and rebuilding trust among the residents. Well, I don't think it's just a trust issue because I was just there and I'm talking to residents who are still getting rashes, who are still losing their hair. It's residents telling me when they shower, it smells, their eyes burn in some cases. So to me, even though this is eight years later, you have to kind of trick your mind into thinking this, 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 is, this is never, it, it, maybe it's a little better than 2016, but it's still a major disaster. And wouldn't you want, if this was your community, wouldn't you want the rest of the country, the world to still care, to still act? So I, I really hope uh, not only Flint residents, but outside Flint residents start flooding the governor's phones, the attorney general's phones, showing up for protest. Uh, you know, I'm a journalist. You're supposed to just be neutral and be a robot, but I think you'd be a sociopath if, if you're just neutral to a city being poisoned and then a cover-up of these people being poisoned and then them left to slowly die. I don't think you should be neutral to that. You should want to get to the bottom of it, hold people accountable, help in any way possible to deliver 
some justice. So that's what I've been trying to do. It's, it's not easy because, frankly, the media just kind of buries it. I mean, I know for a fact the outlets I've outlined know about the stories I've broken, know the information. Some of the editors have even responded to me, but they don't report it and they don't follow up on it. So, yeah, uh, definitely check out our Flint reporting at Status Quo on YouTube. You know, when we talk about we're all worried about the potential death of our democracy, it's not just about Trump. It's stuff like this where people lose their faith in their, in their government of, by, and for the people. And, and when they give up, that is the death of democracy. When Democrats say that they're for the people and then they take office and then this, this still goes on, that's the death of democracy. When President Obama came to Flint, this, this poisoning began during his last two years uh, in office, last three years. And he, and he comes there. We filmed him there. He wanted to put the whole thing to rest. So he fake drank water at a, at a rally there at a high school. And the water was okay. Why would you tell them it's okay when you knew it wasn't okay? And then people give up. And so I, I, you, others, we're all, we're not giving up. So thank you for the work that you continue to do, Jordan. And, uh, you know, if I can speak on behalf of people in Flint, we're very grateful that you keep digging, keep investigating, and that uh, even if the spotlight uh, finds itself on the Democrats, that we don't care. We're going to go after anybody who is harming people in cities like Flint. And to everybody listening, uh, I'll have links to all these things we talked about and uh, phone numbers to call the attorney general's office, governor's office, uh, email, et cetera. Um, uh, please uh, silence uh, in this case is um, uh, it's, it's, re it's really a form of violence in the sense that if, if we who are not suffering, don't say anything, don't do anything about it, uh, then, then we become part of the problem. So thank you, Jordan, uh, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, Michael. Well, that was great uh, talking to Jordan, and uh, I have a couple other things I want to just uh, tell you about here. Uh, but first, I want to acknowledge our, our final underwriter uh, today. It's Netflix, and it's for, for the film Don't Look Up. I, if you haven't seen this film, you've got to watch this film. It's, it's rare that we get uh, such a, a brilliant satire like this. Don't Look Up. It's directed by the great comedy legend Adam McKay, uh, who's brought you everything from Vice to The Big Short to Talladega Nights, the legend of Ricky Bobby. So much good comedy, something we need right now, but also a great story in this case uh, for what we're all living through on this planet right now. Uh, Don't Look Up is uh, also co-written, the story of it is, by a, a good friend of mine and a friend of this show. We've had him on before, David Sirota. It has an all-star cast of Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Mark Rylance, Jonah Hill, Rob Morgan, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Kid Cudi, and too many others uh, to count. Don't Look Up is the story uh, of two scientists who discover that a comet is hurtling its way towards Earth and what they attempt to do is try to warn everybody on the planet of this danger with, well, let's just say mixed results. You know, not everybody wants to hear the bad news. 
Sometimes, though, if that's your attitude, it is to all of our detriment. So few films this year, my friends, have tapped the zeitgeist and reflect our current moment like Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up may paint a dire portrait, but it's also hopeful because it puts things in perspective and lets us know it's not too late to change things. And the Motion Picture Academy agrees. Don't Look Up has racked up a whole bunch of Oscar nominations for Best Picture, uh, uh, Best Screenplay, Best Score, uh, Best Editing, on and on. It's, it's, this is Adam McKay's second Best Picture nomination also. He was also nominated for Vice, uh, the, the story of Dick Cheney. And it's his third nomination for Screenplay, uh, which he had been nominated before for Vice and The Big Short, for which he won the Oscar. So don't miss out on Don't Look Up here during this Oscar season on Netflix or on any smart device of your choice. Don't Look Up from Adam McKay. Uh, My many thanks again to Jordan for joining me here again on Rumble and for all of his work covering this heinous uh, injustice uh, toward the people in Flint, Michigan. Uh, Please be sure to read his latest piece uh, in The Guardian. I've got a link for it here on my podcast site. And be sure to check out his on-the-ground investigative reporting with his investigative group called Status Coup, C-O-U-P, and it's available on YouTube. Again, one more reminder before we go that this Sunday, if you're a paid member of my uh, Substack, michaelmore.com, it's just five bucks a month. Uh, I'm going to have I'm going to be having my occasional Q and A for paid members. It's this Sunday, February 20th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. So be sure uh, to sign up uh, for it if you want to be on, uh, on part of the Zoom here, and we'll be sending out a form on this uh, on a Friday or Saturday here. Uh, to our paid subscribers. So if you want to be part of that Zoom call, uh, and even if you don't want to be on screen, you'll still be able to submit questions via the comments that are on my Substack, just as we've done in past uh, Q&As. My thanks to executive producer Basil Hamden, our editor and sound engineer Nick Quaz, our jack-of-all-trades Donald Bornstein, and everyone who has helped us put together this podcast, and to all of you uh, for listening to it. I'm Michael Moore. This is Rumble. Thanks for tuning in.